there is no secret formula for scaling customer support and boosting customer satisfaction. But there is the all-new HubSpot Service Hub, bringing service and support together in one platform so you can deliver the best experiences possible and free up a rep's time with AI-powered help desk, all so you can keep customers happy. Secrets out. Service Hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com service to learn more. Hey, hey, welcome to yet another episode of Marketing Against the Grain, your podcast where we take you behind the scenes on all things marketing, growth, and entrepreneurship. As always, I'm your host, Kit Bodner, and uh, I'm joined by the lean, mean, not sleeping machine. <laughs> I'm here with Kieran. Kieran, what's up, man? How you doing? Hey, I am excited to be here. I am actually sleeping a little bit more, so I have a lot of energy. I'm ready for the show. A lot of good stuff to share with you and a game show to play, which I hope I do better on than the podcast episode we released just today. <laughs> <laughs> so for folks listening, Kieran did not love his performance in Double Down, Table Stakes, and Kill. I want to do better. You're going to redoing it. He said he's going to come with even the sharper and hotter takes the next time. But we are playing a game today. We're playing Marketing Monopoly in a little bit. But before we do that, we want to talk a little bit of Twitter news, and we want to talk... We have a user question. We have a listener question. We want to hear that and kind of talk about that for a second. So what are you seeing on the internet these days? What do you want to chat about? Oh, let me kick off with something on LinkedIn because I think it's a good way to kick off the show in a fun way. So you don't spend a lot of time creating content on LinkedIn. I don't know if you do or not. I think you're more on Twitter than LinkedIn. I'm more on Twitter than LinkedIn. Yeah. But I know that LinkedIn content creation is pretty powerful. Yeah, but there is a certain way that you can create LinkedIn content to get a lot of likes, but it's really kind of cringe. Yes, very cringe, right? And this guy did a really good summary of like the different content types that work really well on LinkedIn. And so I want to give you a couple because I think they're hilarious. Please. I love hilarious okay. content. There's the, I took an Uber yesterday. The driver hadn't eaten anything since 1932. So I became a pizza myself. <laughs> now, the, the key to LinkedIn content, if you want to like do cringe stuff, is like be very like, oh, I'm very kind. I'm empathetic. I do everything for, for, for everybody. <laughs> There's another great one. I interviewed a candidate yesterday. Couldn't offer her the job, so I offered her my car instead. Kindness rocks. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought this one was genius. I saw a homeless boy yesterday, taught him data science, and today you know him as Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best that's one. Good, that's the best one. It's not like he got a job. Yeah. It was Elon he did it. He did like every LinkedIn cliche possible <laughs> and the cringe of LinkedIn. So I thought that was a, a hilarious way to kick off the show. Those are hilarious. I had another kind of cool thing around communities. Okay. It's from a person we have coming on the podcast. I'm excited about is Peter Yang. Yeah. What up, Peter? Yeah. Really great post that NFTs could replace subscriptions for communities long term. Oh, I love this. I love this concept. Give you the hot take. So you're nailing it today. How can creators monetize an audience today? I think they can <laughs> monetize them as like, this is from Peter, like ads, right? They can target casual fans mm -hmm. with ads who aren't willing to pay anything. They can do lightweight subscriptions and then they can kind of do NFTs for super fans. This is kind of how I see a lot of communities grow in the Web3 space where you have these kind of NFTs for VIP cohorts of your community. Yeah. And so over time, there's an argument to be made that NFTs are the best way to monetize all three cohorts of users. And so why would you do that? Creators and communities 
would own the NFT, right? Instead of joining a third-party platform like Twitch, Peter gives some really good examples through Twitch, but like any of these kind of third-party places where you would build community, you're restricted to how you build that community based upon their mm -hmm. rules. Whereas if you do it through an NFT, you can set your own rules. You can customize the membership a lot through NFTs. There's a really good community called Proof. Is that Kevin Rose's community? Yeah, Kevin Rose's community is called Proof, yeah. They have a lot of cool stuff within their NFTs. They actually have this really cool thing that if you join their community through the NFT, you get early purchase rights on like NFTs that they that they promote or list. Yeah, look, NFTs are still oddly controversial, some around the environment, some around speculation, inequality, like for a whole host of reasons. What I thought was interesting about what you just said that, uh, that I would break down for everyone was the positives were all utility. It was not about like speculation or making money yeah. or anything. It was a way that you could actually build a way better community experience because of this technology. Yes. And the downsides were largely okay. how the incentives around this technology can go awry. And so I think if you're listening out there and you're like, oh, what the hell does this mean for the future? I think what you're going to see, especially in a lot of business communities, you're going to see them use non-transferable tokens where you have an NFT, but you cannot sell or exchange that. It's just yours forever kind of deal. And I think that way you can leverage the utility, you can leverage the blockchain, but you can basically get rid of all the speculation and, and everything that's happening. That's still a ways off, I think, in, in terms of from a technology and kind of adoption standpoint. But I think it's going to be a one way to solve that problem. Yeah. I'm excited to talk to Peter. I want to do one other tweet before we move into a listener question. This is an Alexa Sohanian tweet. Kieran, co-founder of Reddit, all around very good Twitter follow, runs a venture capital firm now. This whole start of the show just turned into marketing and NFTs, basically. So I'm just going to close <laughs> this out with NFTs. Oh, why not? But I thought this quote was really interesting, which is, a few thousand years ago, someone in Egypt was inventing paper. Imagine trying to explain to them that one day it'd be used for everything from founding a country, i.e. the Constitution, to cash money like the U.S. dollar, to a trading cards worth millions of dollars, to toilet paper. And he's like, NFTs are a canvas. So he's mm. equating the usability of NFTs and the utility of NFTs to an invention a la paper, which it's an interesting magnitude. You know, if you start thinking about that, you're like, oh, wow, that the use cases for this technology, just kind of as you were talking about on the community side, are still so early right. that I don't think people really understand the opportunity. I think we as marketers and as business people are going to leverage this technology a lot over the coming decades, but likely in ways we are not thinking or talking about at all. And our job, I think you and I, our job on the show is to try to seed some of those ideas out in the world. Yeah. The first iteration of anything, most of the things within that iteration look stupid. Totally. <laughs> they look absolutely idiotic, yeah. right? And then everything gets washed out, and then you actually start to find core utilities that actually become yes. sustainable business models. And I agree, like, NFTs are a way to tokenize anything. And I don't think we've even wrapped our head around... What that means. Yeah, what that means. So I agree. I think that's a great quote. I don't think we have understood how NFTs are going to be used in the many ways in the future. And hopefully we can have people on that can help us see that future. Well, and any, any market in the early days is highly, highly volatile, right? And so, yeah, could it swing 90%? Sure. Doesn't mean it's going away. Right. All right. Listener questions. Listener questions. Let's go. If you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts with your question, we will shout you out. We will answer it on the show. We love reviews. We love your questions. First question, Kieran, coming to you from Breen13. Company is Carbon Collective, a fintech that creates investment portfolios aligned with solving climate change. I like that. Love it. Investing and, and helping the world all at the same time. Shout out to Carbon Collective. Breen13 asks you, Karen, 
I'm running a marketing at an early startup, and now I'm curious what it takes to succeed as a marketer at each stage. Seed, A, B, C rounds, pre-IPO, IPO and after. Uh, how do you think I could lead the team through each stage? Look at the aspiration love in that. this question. This is what you want. I love that, man. Forward looking. Looking forward to the future, this. and that future is going to be bright. Yeah, uh, I think there are many ways you could answer this. Let me try to simplify Dan into two things that shift as you grow. Yep. So across each of those stages, how you think about scale and how you think about team design changes rapidly. Yes. And so in early stage companies, you can do things that are not overly scalable, but actually get you enough demand to hit the customer numbers that you need to hit. As you get larger and larger, you have to think much, much bigger, and you have to find some sustainable ways to scale and sustain your growth. Mm -hmm. And the problems become more complex for you to do that. And so it goes from this kind of general iteration, experimentation, finding some things to work, to like a couple of sizable bets where you replace in most of your chips in terms of how you grow long-term. The other thing I think is at some point in your company's size, team design becomes your best growth lever, right? And I actually had some notes around team design, but mm -hmm. you know, great team designs, I think, have a team that can fully own their goal, be autonomous for that goal, have the domain expertise to achieve that goal. You need to, on your team, kind of understand the mix between three personas who I think make up a great marketing team, mm -hmm. which is builders, creators, and operators. Like builders build scalable models, creators create amazing stories, and operators align all of these people together to actually build sustainable uh, teams. I love that. And I think figuring out how to pair those people together to get optimal team outputs is really important. And then the other important thing, and I'm interested to hear what you think here is on team design. I think we do this even at our size today mm -hmm. is we're flexible on team design in terms of it's kind of fluid. Like we are willing to make changes yes. based upon the next year's company goals. So we always look at our team design each and every year. And we're at a team of like, what, 500 plus people on the marketing team. Yeah. And so it's a sizable team. So I think your team design should be very fluid. What do you got, Kip? Wow. That was some knowledge dropping. Yeah. Uh, I love that. I got a few things for you. I think there's also an intent behind this question of like, how to not get left behind. Mm. You know, it's, it's somebody talking about how do I keep growing through these different situations, right? And... I think one of the things to remember is that if a company is growing, especially in those early days, if you're talking about a startup, growing hundreds of percent year over year, you as a person have to grow hundreds of percent year yep. over year yep. to keep up, right? And so you gave some really great specific ways to do that. Part of what you have to do is be very honest with yourself and say, I have to understand what I am not good at, first of all, and, and surround myself with people who can fill in my weaknesses. And I have to have a model for learning on a really rapid basis to learn about the problems I need to solve before I'm going to have to solve them. So that way I don't get hired over. Somebody doesn't mm. come in and disrupt the job that I'm having, right? And so if you, you know, you're at an early stage startup now and you want to be there through the IPO, which I love, uh, you know, I joined HubSpot when we were... 100 employees, I think Series B stage at that point, and have lasted this long. I'm not sure how. But I think one of the reasons there is just the constant learning of that. And then the second part of that is hiring great people. Right. The biggest reason I think marketers get replaced at the early stages of a company, seed A, B, C, is because they can't hire and build a team. A lot of people have a really hard time of going from being a great marketer who can maybe help 
one or two people do the work they know how to do versus having 10, 20 people really executed, communicated with correctly and working in lockstep to solve a problem. Right. So those are the things if I was Breen 13, I would think about, I would get a mentor, I would be very calculated on how I was learning and how I was spending my time and focus on those things. Can I add something really controversial here? Please. I know it's controversial because I said this on Twitter before and I got absolutely flamed uh, by multiple people. <laughs> the other thing I would add into that is do not take the title of CMO before you are ready for CMO. What do I mean no, by that? No, no, this is great advice. I see a lot of people who chase that title are CMO of a team of five people they are not ready to be a CMO and their next move is like that company either doesn't grow or that company grows and replaces that person. Mm. Then their next move is to go be a marketing manager somewhere or a marketing director somewhere. And it's just like weird career trajectory. You are just much better, you know, being honest of where you are and saying, okay, well, I'll, like whatever the title is, but chasing that CMO title, I think I would not call myself a CMO if I have like a relatively small team and I don't have the opportunity to do the things that you've said, which is hire a team, hire talent, do team design, build scalable models. And I think people do chase that title and then it does have repercussions for, you know, how people think of you in the future. Oh, they were CMO and then they went to be a manager or and then they went back into being like a director. Does that make sense to you? Does that do you know what I'm getting at there? Oh, Kieran, not only does it make sense to me, I'm going to put some hot sauce on that take for you right now. Awesome. Let's do and it. Let's annoy some people. I would argue that if you are chasing a title like the CMO title, you have a 0% chance of being a successful leader for that team. Oh, If you are so insecure and you need validation that much that three letters are going to help you feel like you're good enough, then you do not have the confidence, security, the knowledge to actually lead a team of people. Right. Right. Right? I mean, it's, it's the hard truth, but like... Instead, have the intellectual honesty to say, this is who I am. How do I go learn from some amazing people and show up and learn how to be a leader so that when I'm a CMO or when I'm you know, a founder or whatever I am, I can scale and really grow with the problem I'm trying to solve, a la Breen and his or her original question that we kind of started this with. Titles don't make careers. Problems solved make careers. And that's what you should focus on. Absolutely. Am I solving interesting problems? Are those problems applicable to other companies? And am I solving them in interesting ways? Yeah. The, the, like the cheat sheet on that is you start in your career by learning. And then you grow in your career by applying that knowledge directly. And then you scale in your career by applying that knowledge through other people. Right. And you yes, gotta, if yes. you skip one of those steps, you get screwed. Yep, right. Because yep. you don't know how to do it. Like you have to do them in that order or you just don't have the foundational skill necessary to get to the next level of where you're trying to go. A hundred percent. All right. That was an awesome discussion. Please leave us a review with your questions on Apple Podcasts and we will give you the shouts out and give you hopefully some good knowledge too. Kieran, it's game time. Let's do it. Okay. Another one. Let's do this. All right. <laughs> For everybody listening at home, this is our first time doing this particular game slash bit, and it could go horribly wrong. Uh, yes. And uh, quite frankly, would be better if it goes horribly <laughs> wrong, probably. But we are going to play Marketing Monopoly. My favorite board game growing up. Oh, I played it on my front porch growing up Love every, every day in the summertime. Uh, I mean, it's not surprising. It's about money and making money. Yes. But what we thought would be fun is that we would basically roll a lap around the board and talk about some of the monopoly properties as analogs for marketing strategies, growth strategies. So for example, we're going to roll, we're going to, let's say we landed on Vermont Avenue. 
we would talk about, well, Vermont Avenue is pretty low, low rent property. You know, you don't get a ton of return from it. What's that marketing strategy? And would you actually buy that marketing strategy like you would think about buying Vermont Avenue? And the thing I like about this is just like Monopoly in real life, there's a finite amount of things you can do. There's a finite amount of marketing strategies and tactics that exist. Right. So one of the Monopoly strategies is like some people play, I just try to buy everything I can because there's, it's like a scarce resource. And we can have a debate around, is that a good way to think about your marketing or not? You know, so, so there's a few things that are happening there. I'm going to be the race car. Kieran, you're going to be the top hat. Gotta have the top hat. We're going to play a few roles. I'm going to, you and your top hat. I'm going to roll for you since I got the board. I'm giving you the gentleman honor with the top hat. And you just rolled an eight. So I'm going to count you out. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and that is actually Vermont Avenue. This is the light blue properties of Monopoly. Okay. So the, the second least expensive properties on the entire board. I got it. How am I going to get myself in trouble today? <laughs> okay. Least valuable. Uh, let's go that entire row at different outbound marketing tactics. Oh, I like this. This See, this is why we're playing the game because you can leave it all to interpretation. All right. So, so what outbound tactic do you think is, you know, analog to Vermont Avenue? Like, do you think Vermont Avenue is like spammy mail or like cold calling? <laughs> like what? You got to pick one. Where is Vermont and who will I offend? Are, are any, any of our friends? You're in Vermont. I spend a lot of my time in Vermont. <laughs> okay. Not in Vermont right now. So Feel deeply uncomfortable about this. Okay. I know a lot of Vermonters, so I will make sure that you don't offend anybody. I'm going to go for display advertising. Ooh. I think display advertising is the equivalent, right? It is I love um, this. very ineffective, becoming much more ineffective and hard to quantify. And so I would say that that is what I equate to Vermont display advertising. <laughs> and I am not putting a house in that. You're not buying. I'm not buying. I'm not buying. Oh, so he's just passing over Vermont Avenue. He's not buying because... I'm skipping on that. You think it's just kind of a waste of money. What you're really saying is like display advertising is kind of meh. I think it's meh. I think it's it is. what you do when you are a large brand and have no creativity and where to spend that money. Ooh, hells yes. I love that take. That's good. Oh, Kieran, coming shots fired. I just rolled a nine. So I'm going to Connecticut Avenue, which is right beside Vermont Avenue. So it's a similar light blue. Connecticut Avenue is slightly more expensive than Vermont Avenue, slightly more premium mm. property, uh, $120 versus $100. So 20% more expensive. So what do I think is low rent, but slightly better, more valuable <laughs> than display advertising? Now, that's a good question. I'm going to go with cold sales emails. The cold sales outreach. I like that one. Look, it works, but man, is it maddening and ineffective. You're going to have to send hundreds of emails to get like one response, right? If you're sending cold outreach, everybody thinks they have to do it. And the other thing, it's like, to use the Monopoly analogy, most people are throwing up like a shack <laughs> instead of like a proper hotel. You know, like people are sending crappy emails that aren't really thought out, that aren't very targeted. They're sending the same-ish email right. to a lot of people versus being like, oh, I'm going to make this beautifully architectured hotel to use the Monopoly metaphor, where I'm like really deeply researching this person. I'm only sending out five emails today. I'm taking 30 minutes to research each of them. And I know that two of those five people are going to respond back to me. So there's yep. ways to make it more effective. I think, unfortunately, the vast majority of people do it in a way that is not effective. And so it works, but it's lower rent. We've talked about this before and that you want to be on the opposite side 
of what everyone else is doing. Yes. IPAM email is fine. I think it is great for some businesses. One of the things that I think companies don't do enough is actually hire a copywriter to write those emails. Yes. Like they actually just have their sales reps write in those emails. I agree with that. And there's like interesting ways you could do that. I think that's a really interesting take in that coming back to something we talked about recently because you put me onto this new series, the Billions. You've watched Billions, right? Oh Yeah, yeah, of course. There's a great example of that in the first episode of the new season in terms of taking the counterintuitive yes. direction. Like when he basically delists all of his clients and turns it around and so they interview the clients to see if the clients are good enough to get in their list and it's pretty similar to what you said is like okay well like the entire world is doing quantity and actually i'm going to double down on quality and i think that's an interesting way to think about exactly prospect and an email Given that very eloquent argument, I'm going to be a buyer on Connecticut Avenue. I would buy Connecticut Avenue and I would take the hotel strategy and I would focus on the quality Ooh. in my sales email. So I'm going to buy sales emails as a strategy, but I'm going to do it in a way that is not a volume-based strategy, but a value-based strategy. I love that. I love that. All right. You just rolled a five, Karen. One, two, three, four, five. States Avenue. So States Avenue is the pinkish purple Monopoly board. It is $140. Okay. So a lot more expensive than your $100 Vermont Avenue kind of marketing tactic. What marketing strategy, sales strategy, growth strategy do you think equates to States Avenue? You know, kind of starting to get a little bit of mid-tier value. Okay. Let me double down on a group that I've offended already. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, once you dig yourself a hole, really bury yourself in that hole. It's important. I'm actually going to dig myself back out of this. And so uh, <laughs> I, w I would say that I'm going to call that entire group event marketing because I think it Ooh, is. Okay. Shots fired. No, I think there's actually value in that. I think there is value mm -hmm. in that. I think the reason I am putting it in that group is, again, to me, is just how scalable events are. Mm -hmm. uh, I think for large companies who are trying to run bespoke events for small cohorts of buyers and have large ticket prices on their products, what a great strategy. There are spots I really like them. I think for developers, mm -hmm. events are huge for building out a community and developers, hackathons, all these different ways that developers want to interact with each other. And so I think that's the scale part. You can actually build a whole host of global meetups. I think there are a lot of hit and miss, right? How many times have we been to events where like, ugh, I, I just, mm -hmm. they're all the same, like presentations, stuff like going on. It's not, they're not that interesting. So I think it's really hard to build something that is differentiated. So I would be a buyer. Okay. You're buying events. I love that. Similar to you, I wouldn't put a house because I think house is doing the table stakes side of things. I would put a yeah. hotel on there and I would try to build something truly differentiated. Mm -hmm. And I would actually, for this hypothetical imaginary company, would love to build out a volume-based version of events where I decentralize it. Oh, okay. Tell me more. To like small ambassadors throughout my target markets and actually give them playbooks and give them materials and give them the things they need to do to actually build differentiated small meetups where people can interact with each other, learn something and get truly valuable connections. Because one thing I kind of thought about from the last thing is like remote work actually makes events much more important. It does, I agree. Because events can actually substitute the community you've lost through work from a community of people who are like you and have shared interests. Mm -hmm. I think that's an interesting way to think about events. So I'm a buyer, I'm putting a hotel in there. If you roll up 
my street with my hotel. You need to give me some money. <laughs> uh, before we move on from event marketing, one of the things I like about where you put it on the board is it's also one of those formats of marketing that is highly dependent on market factors. Mm. Where like we're going into this like economic downturn right now. One of the first things that gets cut are travel budgets. You know, so like you could have a success and, and like yep. events got killed in the pandemic, yep. right? It's not that it's a bad strategy, but man, there are a lot of things that can impact That's it. A great point. So if it is like the crown jewel of your marketing strategy, you have a lot of unpredictability in that strategy. So I like kind of putting it in that middle middle bucket there. Don't look at the stock market. Can we put a... Oh, God. All right. I just rolled a seven. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. St. James Place, baby. This is actually one of my favorite uh, properties in regular Monopoly. I'm a big buyer of St. James Place. Is that the orange? Yes, the it's orange the ones? first orange, a la yeah. HubSpot. I always buy the orange ones as well. <laughs> I think they are peak middle value yes. uh, properties. So this is $180. We're up another good amount from your State's Avenue, which was $140. Bucks. So this is like we're getting in the, the good middle belt of marketing here. So what I would equate to, to St. James Avenue, which is like, you know, pretty popular, pretty mainstream uh, property, I would say is, hmm, I'm going to go, this may, may be controversial, Kieran. This is where I'm putting email. I'm putting email marketing right here. Mm. I'm going to put email marketing right here because, man, you can bread and butter some email if you're good at email, right? It's like, right. it's not going to completely transform your business and be the only marketing strategy that you need. But if you execute on it really well, you're going to get a constant return. Just like if you own St. James Place Monopoly, man, people land on that sucker all the time. You're going to get a pretty consistent payout. Same thing with email marketing. You're going to have a really focused strategy. It's going to contribute month in, month out to your business. It's cost effective. It works really well despite the amount of people out there doing it. Still has high return. It's one of the few channels that you don't have to go through a gatekeeper for. You know, like you don't have to deal with Google or Facebook. You have more control over it. And uh, I think St. James Place is the perfect analog for email marketing. Agree or disagree? I agree. I'm buying email marketing St. James Place. I'm putting a couple houses on it. I don't, I'm don't. i not going to like completely hotel it up and make it the right. crown jewel of my marketing strategy, but I'm going to invest a lot in it because I'm going to get a very predictable and consistent return out of email marketing. Right. You know, Kieran, you're rolling some good rolls over here. You got, we, got, we, got a, we got an eight, so let's see. One, two, not going to three, jail, four, am I? five, six, seven, <laughs> eight. No, you almost got free parking. Right now, you're on Kentucky Avenue, which is red. Ooh. It's two hundred and twenty dollars. Okay. Now we're starting to get in the little higher end. We're on the I've got cross free parking and we're in the higher end half of the board. What's going on? I usually try to hold out for the yellows. Oh, I love the yellows too. So I think this is paid advertising. Oh, nice. Okay. I like you taking it off the board. Okay. We've talked about this. Paid advertising is going through a sticky patch. We've got rising CPM costs. From what I have seen and in my experience. There are tiers to your performance based upon the talent you can acquire. So I think talents is a differentiator. Mm-hmm. I think if you can get the right paid marketers who are very good, they can actually drive outsized returns. But I still think you are capped in those returns based upon size of audience you can get through those platforms, mm-hmm. the amount of money yep. you can spend, and the rising cost of CPM. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to put a couple of houses there. Of course, I'm going to do some paid advertising. I think I want to make it pretty good, but I don't think it's going to be the thing that I'm going to make the, you mentioned Crown Jewel. I'm going to bet all of my chips on. I want to bet on two things, and this is not one of the things that I'm going to bet on, but I want it to be really good. 
All right, you're buying Kentucky Avenue, a.k.a. advertising, and you're going to make it good. You're going to make a solid program, but because of competition, costs, and et cetera, it's not going to be your number one strategy. Right. All right, it's not your boardwalk or park place. All right, I love that. Kieran, I just I just dropped 12 on my roll. Watch out. One, two, three, four, I can't see five, Kip rolling, six, so seven, eight, <laughs> this could be nine, this reason cheating. 11, 12. Oh, I got Waterworks. I missed the yellow oh, God. and well, got I, the water company. Boring. Oh, see, see, I... This is interesting, right? The utilities. There's a there's a nice metaphor here. Oh, I like there that. There are yeah, things yeah, yeah, that, yeah, you yeah. know, are required. You have to have utilities, right? I'm gonna say marketing ops. Yeah, you know, it. marketing ops it. is the waterworks of uh, the marketing marketed. world. I, I agree. You have to have it. Isn't this, isn't this perfect? That it is worked, perfect. It works totally well. That is perfect. You have to have it. And the more you don't have it, the more painful it's gonna be. 100%. Right? Like, if you don't have water in your house for an hour, yeah, you can deal. If you don't have water in your house for a week, it's really, really bad, right? And that's kind of what marketing ops is like. If, you know, if you have a list issue real quick, that's you, you maybe you can live through it. If you can't segment your lists at all, if your your sender score is bad, all of the things that marketing ops makes possible, marketing ops is the unsung hero of marketing. 100%. It is much more valuable than anybody ever realized. People always underinvest in it. Yeah. It is incredibly important. It's very easy. You and I could have played this game for two hours and not mentioned it, but I think it is the perfect analog to the Waterworks utility. And so I am... Hell yes, buying marketing ops, aka Waterworks, and I think it is a savvy investment because it's going to make everything else I buy work way better and, and deliver way better results. I agree. And I think the one thing I would call out is the longer you don't invest in marketing ops, oh, the harder yeah. it is to screw up all that crap stuff that you've done. <laughs> <laughs> Unwinding bad decisions is horrible. Oh my gosh. Yes. So invest early. It's uh, it's it's up there. You just rolled an 11. I'm, I'm rolling some high, high numbers here today. Oh, I'm going to go to the greens. Four, five, Am I on the six, greens? Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. You're on the green. Let's You're on go. North Carolina Avenue. Okay. $300. This is the fourth most expensive property on the board. This is a crown jewel. What am I going to do? This is media. Oh, I love it. Let's go. I want to incorporate search into media. I think media needs to okay. be a crown jewel. That's fair. I'll allow it. I think you break media into two groups. You break media into content for distribution, content for reach. I think content for distribution is predicated on you being amazing at search. Mm -hmm. Even though that I table stake search in one of our latest episodes. <laughs> the search people are going to come after you today, by the way. I'm like, I'm going to hotel the hell out of this because <laughs> I still believe that this is the way you could differentiate. I believe that the reason I love it is because there's a couple of ways you can differentiate. Mm -hmm. You can differentiate on talent because if you can get truly great media people to work for you, yes, like there's a small group of people who are truly great at media. And, you, and when you say media people, you're talking creators, creator economy. A lot of what we talked about in the show with Steph Smith, right? The creator economy, people who have editorial taste, people who are really mm -hmm. able to plug into your audience and build things that are really impactful, interesting for them across text, audio, and podcasts. And I think I like areas where you can still have points of differentiation. That's a great point of differentiation. Then the second reason I love that is because there's scalable distribution channels built in behind it. So search still scales to phenomenal numbers. I posted on Twitter showing our blogs are bigger than most other business publications. Why is that? Because we have a truly world-class content and search team and we've built some great systems and frameworks. And so I like something that has inbuilt distribution mechanisms that you can translate into systems and frameworks. So me, I'm going to put a hotel in there. I love it, again, too, because of the talent differentiation, the systems and framework differentiation. I think media, Crown Jewel, and I think there are a couple of big winners in markets who build true media engines, and they're going to be very, very hard to disrupt. I agree with this.
All right, so you're going all in, hoteling it. You're going to mortgage any other properties you need to to buy the to put the hotel on this, and you're you're going all in. <laughs> I love that. I just rolled an eight. Oh, this is a good one, Karen. You know what I landed on? Chance. Oh, the little question thing. Chance. The questions. You get a little card. Yeah. I could read the little card, but I think I want to do a, a different take on this, which is there's a lot of things in marketing that you just don't know if they're going to work or uh, not. What bets would you make? You know, you're taking a really high risk. You know, like in Monopoly, when you pull a chance card, maybe you're going to get to go directly past go and go ahead and get your 200 bucks, or maybe you're going to have to go to jail or pay some taxes. Like you don't know what's going to happen. Something really good could happen. Something really bad could happen. And what's the equivalent of that in the marketing world? I think it's brand marketing. Mm, Oh, tell me more. Because brand marketing, if you get it right, if you nail your campaign, you nail your story, you nail your message, huge, huge upside. But just like making a movie or making a show or whatever, you don't know if it's a hit until people actually see it and you've spent all the money and done all the cost. And so if you mess it up, there's a big downside risk to it as well. So it's hugely important, really valuable, but man, the beta, the deviation is really high. And so I think brand marketing is the perfect analog for chance, which is I'm hoping that I'm pulling the chance card that is getting my $200, my brand campaign is a success, and it's a key part of my strategy, and I get all this awareness and consideration upside that I didn't think I was going to get before. Right. Also hard to find people who are truly remarkable at it. Yes, very hard. I also think the another version of chance would be to take a new role and take the majority of your salary in stock. Yeah, like you're, you're betting on yourself. <laughs> no, I'm joking because the stock market is horrendous. <laughs> <laughs> That would be a bad chance. For people who can't tell, Kieran has looked too much at the stock market today and probably needs to take a break from his stock (laughs) app. Um, I like that I landed on chance. Okay, this is going to be the last roll for each of us, okay? Last rolls. Let's go. Uh, See if either one of us gets Park Place or Boardwalk. You just got a 10, so you're going to pass. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Oh, man, it's like I'm planning this, and I really, I swear to God, I'm legitimately doing these rolls here, people. Uh, You landed on Community Chest. So you pass go, you got some more cash to make some investments, but you didn't land on a property. You got community chest. And that is the other set of cards for everybody listening. It's the other set of cards where it's largely about things that happen in the neighborhood. So like, you know, you might have to pay somebody for taking care of your lawn or you might get a tax refund. Those are the types of things that happen when you land on community chest. So what is the equivalent in marketing? That's why I love this one. <laughs> You're good at this. This is by far the hardest one. I thought it was going to be like, if I could get additional money, where would I place it in a uh, future bet? Okay, what can I get from the neighborhood? Oh, come on. Yeah, this is the neighborhood card. What are you going to talk about here? Come on. Community? I think this one's obvious. You got to talk about community. Okay. Let me we talk, talk about, about community a lot on the show. Wrap on how community chess and community in your marketing relate. Community is a great way to build and give additional <laughs> let me start again because i want to make sure i don't get myself in i'm trying to make sure i do this within this guy's anytime kieran talks about community on the show he digs himself a hold yeah so and you- now he's so afraid he's gonna piss off the community people <laughs> he's just not talking look i posted something about this this morning i think community is the future one thing you said last week when we talked about this is there are going to be a few outsized winners in community. And that was actually one of the points I believe in. So yeah. if I was going to invest in community in my marketing, the first place I would invest is a community for my customers, right? Actually, most brands mm-hmm. still suck with that. And I have a lot of additional advantages because yes, there's an incentive for someone to join my community. You're a customer. I don't have to compete with anyone else because it's my product. Mm-hmm. And I'm the only one building a community for that. So I can learn how to build 
a community. Oh, I like this. this is I good. think the thing that you and I have kind of gone back and forth on as community as a marketing lever. How do I build a true large community mm -hmm. to actually acquire people into my product and acquire people into my services? And I actually think one of the things that we talked about last week is really pivotal in how you think about that. And it's really ownership, right? Mm -hmm. I think you can build a community of practice, a community of product, a community of interest and hobbies, but you can build a community of ownership. And we hadn't talked about that, actually. There's a fourth axis, and that Web3 gives you that community of ownership. And so I think if I'm going to invest in this, I'm going to invest in it for my customers. I love that. I'm going to wait a little while until there's better tooling and ways like integrate incentives into my community. And then I'm going to try to be an early adopter of building a community of practice and ownership for my fans, my ecosystem, my users. I love that. That was a really good answer. I think the community people are going to be very happy with you. I think the other answer we could have given is customer advocacy mm. and how your customers yep. advocate and bring in new customers for you. I think those were the two good analogs for community chess. All right, this is the last roll of Marking Monopoly. I got a six. One, two, three, four, five, six. I landed on community chess. I just gave my community chess answer, which is customer advocacy, huge part of your marketing strategy. That's and then what, what would be the two Brian ones? Because they're the lowest on the board. What would you put there? Oh, the, you, the Baltic Avenue yeah. and the Mediterranean Avenue, the two cheapest ones. What would I? Oh, gosh, dude. <laughs> we both have to do it. I'll go first, though. Uh, I think. Oh, don't make me do it. Oh, you're, you're definitely doing it. I mean, the lowest one is spam. Spam email. Not like sale. Like, I'm talking legitimate, like, you know, scam. <laughs> you know, like the crazy phishing emails, like sketchy, bad spam email is the worst tactic for sure. What's your answer? I put door-to-door -door sales. Door-to-door -door sales was still going on. Oh, door-to-door -door sales is a good one. I like but that. Do you remember the first time you got like someone doing door-to-door -door sales post-COVID? Selling a vacuum cleaner at the front door? Oh, but post-COVID, like, you were locked in your house for two years and then someone, we opened back up and I actually had door-to-door -door salespeople. They're still selling door-to-door -door in Ireland? Yeah. I haven't, yeah. I haven't had anyone come to my door in a long, long time. Oh, okay. We're behind. We can't get a Nate sleep. We can't get uh, the cereal, Magic Spoon. <laughs> they can't get Twitter Blue. Don't you worry, Kip. We're way behind. We're still catching up. <laughs> I think Marketing Monopoly was a big success. What do you think? I think it could have gone horribly wrong. I think it worked. I think it worked and we did zero prep i actually didn't <laughs> <laughs> that is not true we did real prep and so i thought it was good i'm, I I'm excited good. I thought it was uh, good. leave a review and tell us if we should play the game if there's any other classic childhood games that we should Cluedo. take this spin on yeah like clue i love clue now you have to like leave us a review let, let us know so that'd be awesome Please leave your questions. We'll shout you out. We got Marketing Against Humanity, our own take on Cards Against Humanity, Marketing Edition, coming to you soon. Uh, we're going to be recording that next week. So until then, be safe, do great marketing. We'll hit you all soon. <laughs>